this is such a huge, rich subject. And uh, the focus of our passage this morning is on unforgiveness. And I want to do a flip side of that next week, uh, talking about the results of forgiveness, the power of forgiveness. It is, it is a wonderful subject, it's a wonderful passage, and, and so we're going to do that, and we're going to look at this this morning, and then we'll, we'll continue on the same theme at a little different angle uh, next time we're together. But here, this morning, we are in Matthew 18, and we're looking at this section. We began this section last week, Jesus talking from this parable, and we want to continue that here this morning. Matthew chapter 18, I encourage you to look on in your Bible, or look on with somebody who is beside you who has a Bible, or if you're not, grab a, a Bible out of the pew in front of you so, you so you can see this as well as hear it. It helps you uh, retain just a little bit more. You know, one of the important things to remember when we study parables is that parables are intended to illustrate truth. We, we are on shaky ground when we try to base truth solely on a parable. That's very important when you study parables. Parables in themselves are not the basis for truth. They, they illustrate truth. And as soon as we go outside of that, we, we open the door for, for wrong teaching. They are illustrations of truth. They're intended to make truth come to life. And, and the way to learn what truth a particular parable is teaching is to study the context, to look at the verses around that parable. And do that looking for the central truth. Don't try to read something into every detail of a parable. That's not the intention. And often the, par the, the details are added to just simply complete the story because it is a story. It is a fiction story. But look for the central truth and don't try to read in something into every little detail. The parable that we are studying was precipitated by Peter's question in verse 21, then Peter came and said to him, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times? That question launches the parable. From that you know that the subject is forgiveness. Forgiveness is a subject. And that is confirmed when you read Jesus' closing statement at the end of the chapter in verse 35 where Jesus says, My heavenly Father will also do the same to you if each of you does not forgive his brother from your heart. And though the subject, the central truth, is the subject of forgiveness of one another, his, his brother. And so that's, that's the focus that we have to keep as we go through the parable. The subject is not salvation. The subject is forgiving one another. That's the subject. Jesus is talking to his disciples. He's talking to believers and how they relate to each other. A forgiveness is a wonderful thing. It is powerful in any relationship, a marriage relationship, in the home, or in the church. It is a great, great quality. Without forgiveness, there will never be unity. There will never be harmony in any relationship. A forgiving spirit constantly tears down barriers which so easily build up. A forgiving spirit just, just takes those barriers down. It is a must for settling differences. You, you may as well learn to forgive. You may as well learn it because sooner or later, people are going to need it. 
And sooner or later, you're going to need it. I'm going to need it. So we just as well learn to forgive. Show me a person with great character, and I'll show you a person who can forgive and not hold grudges. Show me a person with bitterness in his soul, a chip on his shoulder, and I'll show you a person who lacks character. Harboring grudges destroys relationships. It eats up the inner life, and it brings wretched ministry, and the illustrations of this abound all over the place. There's a two unmarried sisters. They lived in Edinburgh, Scotland. So that's far away. So you know that was, this would never happen here. Okay. <laughs> they lived together, and because of an unresolved disagreement, they stopped talking to each other. It's one of the inescapable results of refusing to forgive. Since they were either unable or unwilling to move out of their houses, out of their house, singular, they continued to use the same rooms, eat at the same table, use the same appliances, and sleep in the same rooms, all without one word. A chalk line was drawn, dividing the sleeping areas into two halves, separating doorways as well as a fireplace. And so each one would come and go, cook and eat, sew and read, without ever stepping into her sister's territory. And through the black of night, each could hear the other breathing. But because both refused to forgive and forget the silly offense, they coexisted for years in grinding silence. Unforgiveness. It is an awful thing. And examples like this abound. Now, God requires, God commands that we be a forgiving people. He commands that. And if we fail to forgive one another, those who wrong us, we will never enjoy fully His forgiveness. So it's very important that we learn to forgive. And our fellowship with one another, our ministry to one another, will be blocked. Again, that's true in your marriage, in your home, and in our church. Really, this parable that Jesus tells here in Matthew 18 is like a, a commentary. It's like an illustration of Ephesians 4.32. And it's right there in your notes. Be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake has forgiven you. This parable amplifies that verse. We are to forgive as Christ forgave. He's our model. He's our model. And that's the heart of the power of this parable. Christ is our example. It is heart-searching. It is dramatic. It is, it is potent. Let's take a look. It's like a three-act play. We've already looked at Act 1. In Act 1, forgiveness is illustrated. And a man was found by a king to have an enormous unpayable debt. A debt which this man could not hope to repay in a thousand years. But he begged for mercy and his lord, the king, totally wiped out the debt. Totally wiped out the debt. Look at verse 27 again. And the lord of that slave felt compassion and released him. He turned him loose and forgave him the debt. The message of the whole parable revolves around that verse. This slave was set free from all that he owed. Wonderful. And that's exactly how God has forgiven his child in Jesus Christ. And a major key 
to being a forgiving person is to realize how much you have been forgiven. It's a major key. We talked about that last week. By the way, this is one of the reasons for believing that this is a genuine believer. He has been forgiven. He's been forgiven. If this is not a believer forgiven by God, the power of the parable is lost. The basis for requiring that we be forgiving is the fact that we have been forgiven. And that comes up a couple times in the parable, and so it's a very strong aspect of this, of this story that Jesus tells. Because of the sinfulness of our sin, because of the holiness of our God, every single one of us, we have a debt which we can never hope to repay. Only Christ could make a satisfactory payment, and He did. And as a result, we have full forgiveness. That's what God has provided by Jesus Christ. But, what if a true believer at times refuses to be forgiving? That comes out in Acts 2 and 3. So let's look at Act 2. Unforgiveness is illustrated. Verse 28. But that slave went out and found one of his fellow slaves who owed him a hundred denarii. And he seized him and began to choke him, saying, pay back what you owe. That almost seems unbelievable, doesn't it? The text is painfully, unmistakably clear. It's that slave, the one who has just been fully forgiven this monstrous debt, that same slave, he went out and found one of his fellow slaves. Now that hints that he immediately or shortly thereafter, he went looking for someone who was part of the same family who owed him some money. And by way of application, it would be, a fellow believer who had wronged him. That would be the application. But what did he do with his fellow slave? He grabbed him by the throat. He demanded instant full repayment. Now, the, the, things like this were actually done. Secular Roman writers tell of men going to their debtors and wrenching their necks until blood ran out of their nose and their mouth. That was... That was the collection agency of the ancient world. Yeah. Just find some strong-armed guy and say, sick him. That's what this guy did. Now, this is a parable about forgiveness. And the thing that makes it so powerful is that this was being done by a man who had been totally forgiven an unpayable debt. And if this were not a forgiven man, you might expect this. That's not the case. That's not the case. This becomes even more amazing when you do the math. How much did the fellow servant owe him? Well, it says 100 denarii. How much is that? Well, one day's wage was about one denarius. That was one day's wage. And so this is roughly 100 days' wages, or we would say maybe three months' worth in that day. That's a significant amount. But it was nothing compared to what the other slave had just been forgiven. He had just been forgiven an amount which was uncountable and unpayable. And Jesus here is not denying that the debt should be paid. That's not what Jesus is saying here. That's not the point. No, the point is the sins committed against us are minute compared to our sin against God. Our sin against 
an absolutely holy God is far greater in justice than anything done to us. Therefore, for us to be unforgiving is as horrible and as mean as this slave was. And we want to ask, how could this guy be so mean? But do you know that this goes on all the time? In a group this size, there are probably Christians right here this morning who are unforgiving toward another believer who wronged them. How can you tell that? Well, because you keep bringing up things from the past where somebody did something or said something against you. It may have been a family member. It may have been another believer. Oh, no, you wouldn't go up to that person and you wouldn't wring his neck. But every time that person comes to your mind, you have neck-wringing thoughts. <laughs> and you know the line, I could wring his neck. And so this goes on. And you're angry and you're bitter and you're resentful. You hold on to your anger. You hold a grudge and you won't let it go. And with just a little bit of encouragement, you can drag out all the garbage and reveal all the gritty details. It's because it's fresh on your mind and, and, and you're, you're keeping a record like we talked about last week. And instead, you wish harm on that person. Even if you can't carry out that harm, you wish it on that person and you would love to see them fail. Kent Crockett is a wonderful illustration of this. He says, unforgiveness means we desire to hurt the person who has wounded us. It's like the little boy who was sitting on a park bench in obvious agony. And a man walking by asked him what was wrong. And the boy answered, I'm sitting on a bumblebee. Then why don't you get up? The man asked. And the boy replied, because I figure that I'm hurting him more than he's hurting me. The healing process is going to begin when you get up off of the park bench. God will only heal our wounds when we stop trying to or wishing we could inflict pain on those who hurt us. And that's what's happening here in the story that Jesus told in this parable. Notice, notice the response in verse 29. So this fellow slave fell to the ground and began to plead with him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will repay you. Does that sound familiar? It's very similar to what the first slave had said to the king way back in verse 26. Look at verse 26 again. So the slave fell to the ground and prostrated himself before him and said, Have patience with me, and I will repay you everything. Same thing. And that should have shocked his memory and pricked his conscience because he had just said the same thing. But this man was unwilling to give to others what he wanted and what he had received for himself. And so look in verse 30. But he was unwilling and he went and threw himself in prison until he should pay back what was owed. Can you believe that? The point is obvious. When we have received forgiveness which is so great from God, how can we be so small when it comes to forgiving one another? But it happens. And it's the reason there is friction. It's one reason churches split. It, it's one reason there's family division. It's one reason homes are broken up. In almost every single case, it's the, this is the problem right here. There has been something done in the past and there's not forgiveness. 
and there's no reconciliation made, and so eventually there is a split. And so you have a group of people in a church, and one of them says something intentionally or unintentionally or doesn't do things just right. But there's some who just can't get over that. They, guess, they can't just turn it over to the Lord and accept that person in love, and so they get bitter and divisive, and it grows and grows, and the church splits. Even as Jesus spoke these words, this very thing was going on among the disciples. They were mad at each other. That's the backdrop of this whole thing here. They were mad at each other. They were envious and they were jealous and they were arguing with each other about who's the greatest. And so this slave, he could not forgive. And if we cannot forgive, we cannot get along, we cannot have harmony, we cannot move forward. Christians are not perfect. Without forgiveness, we cannot function in unity. The greatest sin a person has committed against you is just peanuts compared to the sin that you have committed and been forgiven of by a holy God. And if you don't believe that, you need to stop and study and reflect on the holiness of God and the fact that He has forgiven us and how that, not just because of our sin, but more than that, because of His absolute holiness that He would even consider forgiving us is incredible. But that's exactly what He's done. And so what we, what we do others or what others do us is, is, is nothing compared to the sin that we've committed against holy God. Notice, if you will, please, and I just want to insert this. I, we could take off on this, and I wanted to, but I'm not going to. Notice how the gospel is the basis for forgiveness. It's the heart of it. That's true in our forgiveness from our Heavenly Father. Because of Christ's death on the cross, because of His paying the penalty that we should have paid, He paid the penalty for us. Because of that, God sees us in Christ, forgiven, clothed in the righteousness of Christ. And then in our relationship with one another, because we have been forgiven so much, we are motivated and encouraged to forgive one another. And in this parable, in this parable, the servant missed that connection. He missed that connection. And so we come to Act 3. The results of unforgiveness. We've seen the, uh, the, the, for the unforgiveness and the, the rebuke of it. Now let's look at the results of unforgiveness in verse 31. So when his fellow slaves saw what had happened, they were deeply grieved and they came and reported to their Lord all that had happened. That describes how the other slaves were affected. Fellow slaves. Other slaves somehow knew that this unforgiving slave had been forgiven this enormous debt. So when they heard how he had treated a fellow slave, they were outraged. Don't miss that response. They were very grieved. They were excessively, violently grieved. It's a very strong word. They were, they were really distressed. It really bothered them. And you know, that illustrates how the sin of one individual affects the entire body. That's illustrated right there. One unforgiving person in the body can cause much grief to the entire body. The entire body hurts. And it's right and it's good that we should really be concerned about these things. Well, this is happening. 
In fact, when we can be this concerned about each other, that, that concern becomes a powerful, wonderful healing dynamic in the body or in a marriage or in a home. When we're this concerned. And eventually the word of what had happened got back to the king. And the rest of the chapter now records his response. Look at verse 32. Then summoning him, his Lord said to him, You wicked slave, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. He called the forgiven, unforgiving. And by the way, that is a total contradiction. That someone who has been forgiven should be unforgiving. That, that does not work. That, that, is a, that is a gross contradiction. But that's what this was. Here was this forgiven, unforgiving servant, and he called him back in, and he said, you wicked slave. Now, is that illustrating a believer? And, and some people might really get nervous here. But think for a moment. Does a believer have potential for sinning? In this case, the sin of unforgiveness. Does he have that potential? He sure does. At least I do. <laughs> and I know you do too. Then that, that, it's possible for a, a believer to act wickedly. And what's happening here, God is simply stating what's true about this person. And the sin of unforgiveness is even more wicked in a believer because he's been forgiven so much. So in that sense, it's even worse for a believer to have a spirit of unforgiveness for a short period of time or for a long time, whatever it might be. But that's precisely the point that's made here when he says, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And so look at verse 33. Should you not also have had mercy on your fellow slave in the same way that I had mercy on you? This is very interesting. Now, all of a sudden, the word mercy is used instead of forgiveness. And here they're used interchangeably. You see, forgiveness is one aspect of mercy. And it brings out a very important truth here. It emphasizes the fact that forgiveness is not deserved. It's merciful. It's an act of mercy. How often do we have the attitude, I will forgive him when he comes crawling. I will forgive him, but not now. I'm going to wait six months until I'm really sure. No, you don't, you don't wait with forgiving until the, the forgiveness is earned. Forgiveness is an act of mercy. It's not based on the worthiness of the one who is forgiven. It's based on the character of the forgiver. That's forgiveness. It's an act of mercy. And that's true in our relationship with God. Forgiveness flows from His mercy. Your forgiveness of God does not, by God, does not flow from your worthiness. And the whole thrust of verse 33 is that we should be forgiving because we have been forgiven. In my Bible, I wrote Ephesians 4.32 in the margin, right beside this verse. Because here it is happening. Here it's coming out. We should forgive as God has forgiven us and because God has forgiven us. And it is never earned. It is never deserved. It is an act of mercy. 
And so he uses that word here. This kind of forgiveness is powerful. I'll tell you, folks, this, can, this kind of forgiveness can liberate you. An unforgiving person is in bonds. An unforgiving person is enslaved by that person that he resents. He is a slave to that unforgiving spirit. Are you going to let go of that burn inside of you until that person pays up? Somebody irritated you, somebody upsets you, somebody hurts you, offends you, says mean things about you or says mean things about your family. Are you just going to hold that inside and just let it burn you up? Are you going to hold a permanent grudge? You know, as I studied it, I thought, what if Christ would have done that? What if Christ would have, after, think of how he was wronged. Think of all the unjust stuff was shot at him, how he was treated. What if Christ would have said, you know, you're going to be that way. I'm going to go back to my Father in heaven. I'm going to quit doing the work that my Father gave me to do. He didn't. He went all the way to the cross. And on the cross, he said, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. That's forgiveness. That's forgiveness. That's our example. That is our model to follow. What if the Apostle Paul would have done that? I mean, he, he would go to one place and they would, they would argue with him. They would beat him and they put him in prison. In fact, Paul went to prison so often that every time he would come to a city, he would, the first thing he would ask was, where's the local jail? No, he didn't. But he was always in jail. And he was wrong. What if he would have said, I'm going to quit. I'm going to quit doing what God has called me to do. And yet, you know, that happens all the time. People are wronged and they're offended and they say, I'm going to quit. I'm going to quit serving. And they don't go back to serving God. That's, that's tragic. But what if you refuse to be forgiving? That was the case in this parable. And this, this slave just determines to hang on to that grudge and that unforgiving spirit. He refuses to let it die. That does happen. Then what? Well, verse 34. And his Lord, moved with anger, handed him over to the torturers until he should pay all that was owed him. End of parable. Wow. And then Jesus makes a statement at that in verse 35. My heavenly Father will also do the same to you if each of you does not forgive his brother from your heart. And so now we come to the point of the whole parable. The whole point of everything. Jesus sounds a very strong, hard warning to the one who's determined to hang on to his unforgiving spirit. It is no small thing to hang on to those grudges. And you can't do that. You don't want to do that. You must not hold on to those grudges. You must not hold on to that resentment. You must forgive. That's what Jesus is teaching. That's what he, he's exhorting here. And it is no small thing to refuse to do that. And I want you to notice here in verse 34 and 35, two things which are happening here, two results of unforgiveness. First, there is damaged fellowship. His Lord was moved with anger. Question. Does God get angry with his child? Of course. He's not pleased with our sin. 
Do not let yourself be deceived into thinking that since you are God's child, God overlooks your sin. He doesn't. He won't. In this case, the sin of unforgiveness. When you sin, the joy of fellowship is missing. It's just not there. Not only with other believers, it's also true in your relationship with your Heavenly Father. Some of the most miserable people in the world are believers who hold grudges. They refuse to forgive. Just bring up the subject of how someone wronged them and they can spill all the dirt and they get all hot and tense and bothered. They have experienced perhaps that relationship forgiveness with their Heavenly Father. But, and that was, that was, it won, that was once for all. That was permanent. But they are not experiencing fellowship forgiveness. We talked about that last week. They are not experiencing that fellowship forgiveness because they refuse to forgive as they have been forgiven. And so the fellowship with their father is cold, it is sour, it is not positive. Now, now what does our Heavenly Father do when that happens? Does He overlook that sin? No. There's a second result of an unforgiving heart. God does what every good father does. Not, is there, not only is there damaged fellowship, there is secondly divine discipline. And again, this is not talking about salvation. That would be works salvation. This is talking about the fact that when you sin, in this case, you harbor unforgiveness, God loves you too much to let it go on. He loves you too much. He cares about you too much to let it go on. And he will deal with you. Hebrews 12, verse 6 uses the words, depending on your translation, discipline and scourging. Hebrews 12, 6. And discipline and scourging is something that every Christian feels at some time or other because every Christian fails at some time or other. His chastening, his discipline. And that calls for each of us to do serious heart searching. And if you find yourself miserable and you're lacking the joy and the liberty and the freedom, you're lacking the meaningful fellowship which you should have, maybe you need to back up and check and see if you are harboring an unforgiving spirit. Those two are tied together. Unforgiveness destroys that sweet fellowship with your Heavenly Father. And, and it makes your fellowship with Him sour and weak. And it isn't meaningful. And it goes on all the time. Someone did something wrong and you just won't let it go. And every time you think of that person, you want to get revenge. You want to get even. And it makes our fellowship with God grow cold and meaningless. Meaningful fellowship just cannot flow. And so verse 35, Jesus gives a promise, a warning, whatever you want to call it. It's both. My heavenly Father will also do the same to you if each of you does not forgive his brother from your heart. It's a promise. It's a warning of damaged fellowship and divine discipline which result from an unforgiving spirit. And I fear that there are believers who are under almost constant discipline from God because there is someone they will not forgive. And every time they think of that person, they get angry inwardly, resentful outward, and they may even start committing the sin of gossip against that person. Something, someone did them wrong and they won't let it go. For a while, they manage to cover it up, but eventually it comes out 
in words, in actions. It may come out in facial expressions. It may even vent itself in physical illness. Proverbs talks about that. How mental attitude sins can cause physical illness. And the older they get, the more obvious it becomes. Youthfulness can cover up a lot of junk. You know? But as we get older, it comes out more and more and more. Oh, yes, these are sober and difficult words from our Savior. Let's allow the Spirit of God to search our hearts. And if you are harboring a grudge because you've been wronged, don't let that go on. And I want to talk a little bit more next week about how to, how to forgive and how to process that. But you have to get past it because it's a barrier between you and your fellowship with your Heavenly Father. Maybe it happened 30 years ago. Maybe it happened today. Jesus, right at the end of verse 35, uses the phrase, from your heart. That's where the real problem is. And that's where the real solution has to begin. Ask God to give you that forgiving heart. Spend a lot of time reflecting on how much he forgave you. Just spend time meditating on that, of his holiness. And read scripture that talks about his holiness and his majesty, his perfection. So that you realize how sinful that sin is and reflect on that and realize how much God has forgiven you so you have a motive and encouragement to be forgiving. To someone, someone and you hear this all the time, I will forgive, but I won't forget. Is that Christ-like forgiveness? No. No. Isaiah 43, 25, God says, their sins and their iniquities I will remember no more. Does that mean God doesn't know what happened? Of course not. He knows everything. But it means this. He will never bring it up again. He will never hold it against you. It's in the past. Never going to be brought up. Just like never knew it existed. To forgive and to forget means you never bring it up to the offender. You never bring it up to God. Unless you're asking to be forgiving. You never bring it up to yourself. You refuse to dwell on it. And you never bring it up to others. To forgive and to forget. Now perhaps you need to go back and you need to ask forgiveness from God for that unpayable debt. And an application that I believe flows out of this is a call for heart searching because if there is an unbroken pattern of unforgiveness in your heart, it may be telling you that you need to search your heart and make sure you're even a child of God in the first place. Every believer struggles with forgiveness. And there will be periods where we struggle with that. But it's going to bother you, and you're not going to live on it. You're going to get over it. But if you don't do that, if you have unforgiveness and it's an unbroken pattern that tells you that you may not have ever been forgiven of that unpayable debt that you owe to God because of your sin. And so you need to cry out for mercy, like they do right here, and ask forgiveness from Him. There's a wonderful problem. I just want to leave you with this one right here. Proverbs 19.11. It's not in your notes. You have to jot it down. Proverbs 19, 11. 
A man's discretion makes him slow to anger. And it is his glory to overlook a transgression. Let me read, let me read that again. A man's discretion makes him slow to anger. And it is his glory to overlook a transgression. God help us to be a forgiving people. And it opens a door for so much. I want to talk about that. I want to plow into it right now, but we're not going to. It is powerful. It is wonderful. We've seen unforgiveness right here. The flip side is, what happens when there is a forgiving spirit in the heart of a believer? When there is a forgiving spirit within a body? When there's a forgiving spirit in a marriage? When there's a forgiving spirit in a home? What happens? It is fantastic. But that's for next time. Let's stand together and we'll close with prayer. Father, we, we read a parable like this and we study it and we begin to see the implications and Lord, it just makes us tremble. Because without exception here this morning, every single one of us in this room has times when we struggle with this. And Lord, I, I just pray right now that you will give victory over that. Father, we thank you that because of Jesus Christ, you can make us forgivers. It's not in us. Father, we can't do it on our own. In ourselves, we tend to seek revenge. In the flesh, we don't want to forgive. But Father, when we stop and reflect on the forgiveness we have through your Son, Jesus Christ, complete, full forgiveness, past, present, and future for all eternity, Father, it, we just respond to that and say, help us to be a forgiving people in our marriages, in our homes, in your church. Father, we thank you for your people. Lord, we thank you that we have the privilege of working together and growing together. We pray for grace to forgive one another as Christ has forgiven us, as our Heavenly Father has forgiven us. Lord, don't let us be unaffected by your truth. Lord, forbid that we should have heard your truth this morning, resist it, and become hardened. Lord, make our hearts soft and responsive and pliable in the hands of the Holy Spirit and make us forgiving that we might become more like our Savior, Jesus Christ. Father, that is our prayer. That is our desire. We pray it for Jesus' sake.